having heard God's word in two different forms, let's join together in a prayer that God would send his Holy Spirit to inspire us. O Lord, our God and our King, we thank you and we praise you for the beauty of the Psalms, for the poetry that you bless us with in this, your holy word. Lord, we pray that as we walk our way through this psalm this morning, that you would send your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, to fill our minds, to inspire us, so that we may be transformed evermore into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, over the past year at Community CRC, Pastor Darren and Pastor Carl have led you through the story of the Bible, the story of Scripture, the story of how God created the world to be entirely good and then humanity fell into sin and so God chose for himself out of all the nations the people Israel who he could then use to bless all nations and draw all peoples back to himself. The story of the Bible is an epic adventure of cosmic proportions. It's an exciting and compelling story that flies in the face of the narratives that surround us, the narratives that we hear all around us. The story of Scripture offers us a way to understand and interpret our own situation and our own lives by finding our place in God's big story. And that's the thing that I love about Psalm 114. It's a short psalm, and it's not one that's incredibly well-known, but I think it's one of the most beautiful psalms in the Bible. It's epic and creative and poetic and rich with imagery and symbolism. As far as the plot goes, it's really quite simple. Psalm 114 is simply a retelling of the Exodus story. God brings his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he makes them his sanctuary. He makes them his special people. They cross the Red Sea and the Jordan River, and they take the land that God had promised to their ancestors, that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as they travel through the desert, God provides them with water in a dry land. That's what is referred to at the end of this psalm. It's a well-known story, and the people of Israel would have heard it a thousand times. And our story, of course, is similar. Just as Israel was enslaved in Egypt, we were enslaved to our sins. Just as God delivered Israel through Moses, God delivered us through the work of Jesus Christ. Just as God provided, provided for Israel as he led them through the desert of Sinai, providing them with water and with food along the way, God leads us through the wilderness of this fallen world and provides for us with his word and his spirit and his church. Just as God calls Israel to live in obedience to him so that they can be a witness to his power among the nations, God calls us to live lives of holiness so that all peoples will see that he is God and that he is powerful to transform lives. The story of God delivering us from sin through the work of Christ and leading us by the Holy Spirit is one that many of us have heard a thousand times. And so it's easy to just sort of ho-hum, like, of course that's the way it is, and we forget to tell the story. And this is what happens for Israel, too. The story of the Exodus becomes just sort of a ho-hum story, and so they, top, they stop telling their children this story. And that's how we get something like the book of Judges, where the people of Israel turn away from God to worship idols over and over again, 
until finally in Judges 18, you have the grandson of Moses, the grandson of the man who God used to lead his people out of slavery and out of Egypt, serving as a pagan priest for the idols of the tribe of Dan, the grandson of Moses serving as a pagan priest. That's in Judges 18. Israel forgets their story. Grace Irwin is a Canadian novelist who I had to read for a course in seminary. She has a story called Least of All Saints. And the basic premise of this book is that there's this guy, Andrew Conington. And he's not religious, but he wanders into a worship service one Sunday and he hears the words of the hymns and he's really impressed by the awesomeness of what these hymns are saying about how God has led his people out of the fallenness of this world and given them new life in Christ, about how God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for our sins, about how God calls us to be a people marked by baptism and holiness, about how God speaks to us in his word and fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we can respond to his work in our lives, about how God is king over all the earth and rules over all creation and is coming back to judge the living and the dead and restore all of creation to its original original goodness, O measureless might, unchangeable love, whom angels delight to worship above, your ransomed creation with glory ablaze, in true adoration shall sing to your praise. Andrew Conington walks into a church and he is awed by these lyrics. He's left with tears in his eyes. And then the minister gets up and preaches sort of a ho-hum sermon about how you should try to be good and be nice to people. And Andrew Conington is just amazed. He can't believe that Christians could take such an awesome and powerful story and boil it down into nothingness. Church after church, he finds the same thing to be true. The hymns tell an awesome story that the sermons fail to capture. But that's the truth about songs and poems They make us look at our stories in a new way, from a different perspective. They use symbolism and allegory, imagery and personification to retell the old story in a new way. And that's what makes Psalm 114 so fascinating. It's a telling of the ho-hum, well, duh, everybody knows that story of the Exodus, but in a new and a different way. When Israel came out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back, you mountains that you skipped like rams, you hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. That's on page 953 of the Bibles in your pews. This is the story of God's people. This is the story of the people of Israel, and this is a story that flies in the face of the narratives that surround God's people on every side. You see, for the pagan nations that surrounded Israel, for Babylon, for Egypt, for Assyria, for Canaan, the sea, the river, the mountain, the hills, these are all domains of different deities. These are all the domains of different gods. 
In the Canaanite religion, there's Yam, the god of the rivers and the sea, and there's Elyon, the god of the high places, of the mountains and the hills. These are the domains of these various deities, and these, this is what the cultures that surrounded Israel at the time believed. And these are the same cultures that had held God's people captive, the pagan cultures of Egypt, of Canaan, of Babylon. And here in Psalm 114, we see all these pagan gods running for their lives before the God of Israel and his people. The sea took one look and ran the other way. The Jordan River doubled back on itself. The mountains jumped like rams and the hills like lambs because the God of Israel is powerful, because the God of Jacob is mighty. The whole earth trembles in the presence of the Lord. The gods of the pagan nations flee in fear before him as he leads his people out of slavery and into new life. This is the story of God's people, the story of slavery and exodus, of rebellion and redemption, of exile and restoration, of death and resurrection. We are a people who God has called from the depths of hell, from the mouth of death, from the far corners of the earth. We are a people who God has gathered together to worship him and to live as examples of his redemption. This is our story. And this is a story that we rehearse every time we come together for worship. This is the purpose of Christian worship, to rehearse and recite the story of God's redemption of all the earth, to rehearse and recite a story which God invites us to join. And so we start off worship with a call from God to come and worship him, and a greeting from God who welcomes us into his presence and displays his power among us so that we know we ought to praise him because he is great and greatly to be praised But this awesomeness and holiness of God causes us to recognize our own unholiness and imperfection. And so we confess before God all together, every single one of us, no matter how good we think we are, we all confess together before God that we are not perfect. And that even though he has called us into his presence to worship him, we don't deserve to be here. And God hears our confession and forgives our sins and assures us of our salvation through the work of Christ. And then in response to this forgiveness, we listen to God's word so that we can hear his voice and know his will, know how we can live lives of thankfulness for everything that he has accomplished on our behalf. This is the story that we rehearse Sunday after Sunday, that the creator of heaven and earth invites us to come and worship him, that we recognize that we are unworthy of such an invitation, but through the work that Jesus Christ accomplishes on the cross, we are clothed in holiness and righteousness. Our sins are forgiven and we are made whole so that we can worship God together in goodness and in truth. This is our story, the story of the God who calls us, who gathers us, who makes us pure, who makes us whole, who gives us the strength to worship him in a world of darkness. The story of a God who is so powerful that nothing can thwart his purpose, not the raging sea, not the rushing rivers, not the towering mountains or the sprawling hills. They all flee and tremble at his presence, not even death is powerful enough to stop our God from drawing us back to himself because he is the God who provides water 
in the dry place. He is the God who turns the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. Scripture consistently teaches that God takes even the terrible circumstances of our fallen situation and uses it for good. In the book of Genesis, when Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, God uses him to prepare for a famine that's coming, and he ends up saving not only his own family, but the entire nation of Egypt. And then when Joseph is reunited with his brothers at the end of the story, he says these powerful words to his brothers. What you intended for evil, God intended for good to accomplish the saving of many lives. In the same way, when the Israelites were camped on the shore of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army came up behind them, the Israelites cried out to Moses, you have brought us out of Egypt to die. But Moses answered them, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is to be still. Then the Spirit of God breathed on the waters of the sea, and the sea fled from his presence so that the Israelites were able to cross the sea on dry ground. And when Israel was exiled in Babylon, the people of God held captive in a foreign land. God used the prophet Daniel to serve as an example of his power and redemption. And the story of Daniel ends with the king of the Persian Empire declaring that the God of Israel is the only true God and the rightful king over all the earth. Throughout Scripture, God uses these terrible situations, situations of slavery, of violence, of exile, of death, to display his power, his goodness, his grace, his faithfulness, and his love. And this is our story too, the story of a God who brings about good in spite of our own wickedness, in spite of our own fallen situation. The story of the God who rescues us even though we rebel against him. The story of the God who forgives us every single time that we confess our sins to him. The story of the God who gives us his spirit so that we can live holy lives of gratitude for what he's done for us. In the New Testament, this story of God's people undergoes a dramatic shift. From the beginning, God chose Israel from out of all the nations to be a blessing to all nations. But in the time of Christ, Israel has lost sight of that truth. They had forgotten their story. We see that in the example of the Pharisees, who keep strict separation, strict purity laws to the utter exclusion of the Gentiles, of the nations. And we see it also in the example of the Sadducees who collaborate with pagan rulers for their own advancement, adopting pagan customs and practices. In both situations, we see that Israel has forgotten their story. But Jesus comes, and he reminds them of what it means to be God's people again. He reminds them that the people God calls out from among the nations are supposed to be a blessing to the nations. That the people who God calls out to draw, that the people who God draws to himself are supposed to then work as agents to draw all people to God, are supposed to live out God's work of reconciliation and redemption. But this isn't a message that anybody wants to hear. And so all peoples collaborate to silence this man. 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans, all of them joined together to crucify Jesus. And Jesus calls out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What humans intended for evil, God intended for good, for the saving of many lives. This is the consistent story of Scripture, and this is our story too. God accomplishes His purpose. God wins the victory. God fulfills His promises, and nothing stands in His way. Evil men conspire against Him, and their plans fall flat. God's own people forget their purpose, and still He sends them the Messiah. God's own people rebel and disobey, and still God redeems them. The sea stands in their way, but at God's presence it flees. The Jordan lies in their path, but at God's command it doubles back on itself. The mountains leap like lambs, the hills like rams. The whole earth trembles at the presence of the Lord who turns the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. Jesus Christ goes down into the tomb, into the grave, into the place of death. And God turns it into a place of resurrection, a place of life everlasting. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul teaches that in our baptism, we die Christ's death with him. In our baptism, we are buried with Christ. Paul says that this is so that we can rise again to new life just as Christ was raised from the dead And of course, this will happen when Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead and all the dead are raised to life and we will live with God forever in a restored creation. But in Romans 6, Paul is clear that this is not simply a future reality. We are already now living into the promise of the resurrection. We are already now living a life of baptismal identity. We are dead to our sins. We are washed of our sins. We are buried with Christ. And we are raised to new life even now. Paul says that we no longer need to live in fear of death. Rather, we live for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Because through our baptism, we are made participants in the grand story of God's redemption of the world. Through our baptism, we are made participants in the life of Christ Jesus in his death and resurrection. Through our baptism, we are invited to join in God's story and find our place in his purpose. This is our story. The story of resurrection. The story of the God who defeats death the story of the God who provides water in the desert, the story of the God who makes the grave a place of new life. May God grant us all the grace to live in the power of this grand story, in the story of his Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Oh Lord our God, we thank you and we praise you for this wonderful story that you have blessed us with. We thank you and we praise you also. We are in awe that you invite us, us who are so insignificant, who are so unimportant, who are so evil sometimes. Lord, you invite us into your story. You invite us to join with you in the work of redemption and reconciliation. You invite us 
to receive your spirit and be transformed into the likeness of your son. You invite us to come and have our sins forgiven. Lord, we pray that as we go about our weeks, that you would bless us to live into this story, this powerful story. In your name we pray. Amen.